Coming up on this week's show, we'll talk about the end of the Irresistible Omega series with Nora Phoenix. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 250 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by Candlewick Press, publisher of The Mermaid, The Witch, and The Sea, the new YA fantasy novel by Maggie Takuda Hall. NPR recently featured this as a book to read this summer, and it's easy to see why from the description. In a world divided by colonialism and threaded with magic, a desperate orphan turned pirate and a rebellious imperial lady find a connection on the high seas. The pirate Florian, born Flora, has always done whatever it takes to survive, including sailing under false flag on the dove as a marauder, thief, and worse. Lady Evelyn Hasegawa, a high-born imperial daughter, is on board as well, accompanied by her own casket. But Evelyn's one-way voyage to an arranged marriage in the floating islands is interrupted when the captain and crew show their true colors and enslave their wealthy passengers. Both Florian and Evelyn have lived their lives by the rules and whims of others, but when they fall in love, they decide to take fate into their own hands, no matter the cost. Maggie Takuda Hall's sweeping fantasy debut full of stolen memories, illicit mermaid's blood, double agents, and haunting mythical creatures conjures an extraordinary cast of characters and the unforgettable story of a couple striving to stay together in the face of myriad forces wishing to control their identities and destinies. There is so much here for fantasy lovers. Pirates, mermaids, witchcraft, Japanese-inspired cultural and folklore themes— and best of all, two strong, queer BIPOC protagonists. The Mermaid, the Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall and published by Candlewick Press is available now wherever books are sold. We are so glad that Maggie Takuda Hall and Candlewick Press could join us in sponsorship of this very special yeah. 250th episode. It's amazing to think that we have sat across from each other or <laughs> stood next to each other very true. for 250 weeks now, unbroken, doing this show. I love doing it. Let's do 250 more. Okay. <laughs> so not only are we celebrating a special milestone this week, later in the year, we've got something else to celebrate. To commemorate our upcoming fifth anniversary, we're asking you, our loyal and amazingly well-read listeners, to let us know about your favorite episodes from the last five years. Now, whether you've just discovered us or have been listening since the very beginning, we want to know what you feel are the most unforgettable moments in big gay fiction podcast history. Now, five years and over 250 episodes is a lot to consider when narrowing down your favorite. Here's how you do it. Simply go to the submission form at biggayfictionpodcast.com slash favorites, and there you will find a link to a list of everyone we have ever had on the show. Pick your favorite and let us know. The most popular interviews will make a return appearance on special episodes leading up to our anniversary in November. Guys, we have never done anything like this, and we're really excited to see what you consider to be the greatest hits from the last five years. But to do this, we need you to go and vote. So, go to the submission page at biggayfictionpodcast.com slash favorites and let us know. Can't wait to see what everybody picks. So, before we get into our reviews this week, we've been asking folks to leave us 
their recommendations over on our Patreon site. And Jamila has recommended to us Interlocking Fragments, which is a series by Sammy C. and Michelle Notaro. Now, Jamila says, Heartstrain is book one in the series, and it is so good. I binge read it and cannot stop thinking about these characters. Jameson and Holden take center stage first, and the story just continued from there. This is a true series, and the books interlock. When an author can make you feel for a character who at first appearance seems like a jerk, it's definitely a good read. I highly recommend this and can't wait for Sammy and Michelle to come out with the last book. Now, currently there are three books in this series. All of them are available on Amazon Kindle Unlimited. Jamila's got this on my TBR now because, of course, I had to check out the blurbs, find out what these books were about. They look so good. I love, from what I could see, how the characters interlock with each other. And I can't wait to dig into these for myself. I also want to let folks know that Jamila also recommended to us Raylan Richmond's Stories of Us series, as well as E. Davies' Significant Brothers, which, of course, we just talked to Ed about last week in episode 249. Now, if you want to leave us some recommendations, you could do that. We've got a post over on our Patreon page that I will link to in the show notes. You don't have to be a patron to leave a comment there. So we'd love to hear from you and what you're reading and what you would like to add to our TBR list since we add to yours all the time. And Will's going to actually keep going with Christmas in July now and hopefully add to your TBR even more. So the first recommendation I have is The Holiday Mix-Up by Avery Ford. For writer Nate, a trip to the Adirondacks the week before Christmas to review a new upscale resort seems like a dream assignment. That is, until a mix-up places him in the honeymoon suite with his arch-rival, fellow newspaper columnist Cole. When a snowstorm prevents them from finding other accommodations, they decide to play nice for the duration, and a night spent talking and drinking just a little too much champagne leads to a very sexy encounter on their large, luxurious hotel bed. They spend the rest of their days enjoying the resort amenities, like, you know, a relaxing couple's massage, and their nights exploring the sizzling chemistry that they can no longer deny. Their assignment at an end, they part ways. Later, in Nate's published review, he speaks of the deep emotional connection he experienced with his unintentional honeymoon suite roommate. And it was more than a fling for Cole as well. He rushes to Nate's office, confesses his true feelings, and takes him on a romantic Christmas carriage ride through Central Park. A happily ever after, just in time for Christmas. I really love this enemies-to-lovers tale, especially the snarky banter between the two heroes early on as they try to navigate the awkwardness of being forced together in such a, a luxurious romantic setting. Nate and Cole are a super sweet couple that also really know how to bring the holiday heat. And my second recommendation for the week also happens to be by Avery Ford. It's called A Second Chance for Christmas. Blake has spent two days driving from L.A. to visit his family for the holidays. Cooper, Blake's brand new puppy, isn't feeling well after the long car ride, so his first stop in his small Kansas hometown is to the vet, who, as it turns out, is Toby, the boy he left behind all those years ago. Now, there's still a spark between them, even after all these years, and dinner with Blake's family ends with a tender kiss goodnight. The next day, they catch up over lunch, and for the first time ever, Toby takes the day off for some afternoon delight. And the sex is amazing and full of passion, and they're falling in love all over again. But 
Toby puts on the brakes, declining to spend Christmas with Blake and his parents. And he tells himself that it's the only way to minimize the pain of Blake leaving again. But with the help of Cooper the puppy, Blake tells Toby that he's not throwing away their second chance and he's staying in Kansas. Their Christmas day is spent celebrating with food and family and gifts and ugly holiday sweaters. Blake and Toby end up together as it was always meant to be. Now, both of these stories really hit me in the feels. It's about nice guys being nice and falling in love. So if that is your particular kink as it is mine, I highly recommend both of these stories by Avery Ford, Second Chance for Christmas and The Holiday Mix-Up. If you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else we talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. I'm Willow Astor, author and host of Living in the Pages, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. My show features best-selling authors in their latest work, but we also cover a crazy range of emotion, from the heartfelt angst of how reality seeps into fiction to the silliness of singing our favorite songs together. I love books and I love writers. It's an extreme thrill for me to chat one-on-one with some of my favorite novelists. I like getting to know them as writers and creative people and also as real everyday people. Moms and scientists, everyone's interesting in their own way. Some highlights for me have been chatting with Taryn Fisher, Kennedy Ryan, Colleen Hoover, and the absolute dreamy Paulina Simons. Join me every Thursday on your favorite podcast app. So I was so happy this week to get the chance to talk to Nora Phoenix. Nora has been around in the MM Romance game for many years now and has a legion of fans for very good reason because she writes across so many genres. She's got something out there for just about everybody. And it was wonderful to talk to her about the end of the Irresistible Omega series. So here's our conversation with Nora. Nora, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Going to talk about all kinds of things today. And we're going to kick it off with the 10th book in the Irresistible Omega series. It's coming out this Friday called Omega's Truth. But before we get into that, tell folks who don't know perhaps what this series is about. Yeah, so this is one of those subgenres that people either love or hate and preg. I absolutely love it. And what I love about it is that you get to play around with power dynamics. And they've always fascinated me. It's one of the things I absolutely love about writing MM romance in general, but even more in MPREG because my world has alphas, betas, and omegas. And you get to play around with the traditional roles and then with non-traditional omegas or with non-traditional alphas. And that has been so much fun, but also very satisfying because you get to challenge basically role patterns just like we see them in society so in that sense i've put some uh, messages in that in that series it's not just all you know fun and and games and sexy times which they have as well but yeah it's a combination of uh, world building it has a uh, suspense plot lines and then they're all poly romances so all, all three or more men together which is also something i love uh, because, again, it plays with the power dynamics um, in, a, in a relationship with two. The dynamics are easier, but how do you build a relationship with three people or with four uh, and keep it equal? Those are things that really fascinated me in this series. So it's been a lot of fun to write, but the 10th book will be the last one. So all good things must come to an end. 
all good things must come to an end. So it's the grand finale here. It is. And it's been really challenging because I had a lot of plot points to tie up and a lot of people who needed that final happy end because it's not a romance if it doesn't have the end. And that's the hill I'm dying on. So I wanted to make sure that it was a satisfying ending for all the characters and for the plot lines. So it's been... It's been fun to write, but it's also been a challenge this last book to to finish it well. The grand finale, it has to satisfy. <laughs> what was the inspiration for the series going into it? Yeah, that's the fun part because this sort of started as a challenge. We were in my Facebook group talking about basically a lack of poly romances with more than three men, so four or more. And kind of like a harem, except those are so often just focused on, on the sex. And basically, my readers challenged me like, Nora, you should write that. And sometimes when people say that, you go like, oh, you know, I'll add it to the list. And for some reason, that one struck me. And I was like, I want to write this, but I want to write it in a way where they need each other. So it's not just four men who happen to be together, but I want them to actually need each other. And that's how I came up with, okay, if I set this in an MPREG world, I can play around with having physical needs, having emotional needs, having the power dynamics. And so it, I don't want to say it started as a joke, but it definitely started a lot more lighthearted than it turned out to be because over time I've poured my soul into these books. Emprec has a little bit the a reputation of being just, you know, fluffy and focused on the sexy times. And often it is. My books are they have their sexy times, but they're they're pretty deep. They have a lot of emotional development and they have a lot of I think mirroring issues that you see in our society. I have the um, MPREC equivalent of non-binary characters or of transgender characters and that has been incredibly satisfying to show in a completely different world um, in a completely different way um, and I've heard so much positive feedback from readers is how much this series has meant to them and helped them in their in their self-discovery so that's something I'm super grateful for. It sounds like you're putting into your impreg world a lot of our real world and then exploring it how how much do you try to keep to i guess i would say the the realities of our real world while putting it into this alternate universe if you will it is a made-up universe because technically it is not set in the U.S. It's set in an unnamed country that has a different political system. At the end of the series, there actually is a civil war going on. At the same time, I'm mirroring some of the tensions that we see in our society at the moment. Tensions between the rich and the poor, tensions between you know, racial tensions, tensions between those in power and those who are abused by that power and I'm trying to put that in a different way into my books. What I like about it is that you can sort of show it in a different way where people maybe are a little more open to it because it's a fictional world. But they some readers don't see the parallels and that's fine. It's not it's not a sermon. It's not, you know, I'm not preaching. If you just want to read them and you just think they're awesome books, that's fine. 
but a lot of readers do pick up on those messages and and they tell me how much they appreciate that so that has been very rewarding for me was it always planned to be 10 or did you just at some point know you know 10 is going to be it <laughs> it was planned as as three that was my idea i had the the original four characters and then i had one side character which i figured you know he's going to get his own story and that would be it but the series just went from there and it i mean it did well in sales which you know also helps because if it doesn't well do well then you know you have to make the financial consideration is it worth uh, pursuing this or not but i just had so much fun with the series so much fun writing it and the the feedback was so awesome and i just kept developing new characters that needed a story even now my readers are like nora you need to write a spin-off because we still have like 10 characters who we haven't had the story for and i'm like oh god please <laughs> but yeah yeah that's incredible. So, I mean, I guess with that, I have to ask, you know, how did you go from plotting a trilogy into seven more books? Because it sounds like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of stuff going on in here. There is. Yeah. The bigger plot is something I enjoy immensely. So I did plot out a bigger basically a thriller plot with some some there's a medical plot there's a corruption plot there's police corruption there's a government there's an overthrow of a government there's a coup there's a military coup there's a civil war that part i had planned on a much smaller scale but when the series grew i was like okay i get to develop this further and again i'm playing around with the question if people do something bad but they do it with the right motivation to ultimately achieve a good goal. Does that make it okay? If you use bad methods, but what you ultimately achieve is good, does that make it okay? Which is a moral question that keeps popping up in this series, which I like to play around with. This sounds way fun to write, much less to read. <laughs> It is. It is incredibly fun to write. Like I said, you, I get to put so much in it, political stuff and emotional stuff and psychological development and just a lot of stuff that I'm thinking about myself. It, it, writing really is the best therapy. I keep saying it like I get mm -hmm. paid to go to therapy. If I don't write, I think my head would be a lot less peaceful. I just mm -hmm. process a lot of what's going on in my life and in the world through my writing. So it's been very healthy for me. Now let's talk about Omega's Truth a little bit. As you're wrapping up, what do readers have to look forward to here besides wrapping up all these various plot points? I think the big question that fans of the series will have after reading the last couple of books is there's a general who's behind the overthrow of the government, who's behind the military coup. So far, the evidence suggests that he has a plan for our men, for our ranch, for our pack. But what is that plan? Will he ultimately prove to be good or evil? I think that's the question, aside from the romances, that a lot of readers are worrying about, like, how is this going to play out? Because so all I can say and all I can promise is it has a happy ending. I do not do bad endings. I promise. I promise. I promise. <laughs> it's the Nora Phoenix guarantee. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I... There's few things that I hate more than going into a book or a movie or anything or a TV series and 
being promised a happy end or expecting a happy end and it's not happening. That is like such a dissolution and such a disappointment that, that can, you know, that can take away my, my joy for days. Mm-hmm. I, there's a reason I write and, and read romance. I love the happy ends, you know, that's, that's what I do it for. So, yeah. So wonderful happy ends for our three characters and for um, all of them, really. But how? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that there have been fans who've talked about spinoffs. Can you envision a spinoff out of this eventually? Yes. So the there's one main pack, and in the in the previous books, we had a second pack form basically split off because they became um, too big. I do hope to write that spinoff in the future. It it won't be this year. I have uh, a different series planned for this year, but in the future, I do hope to pick up the storyline from that second pack, maybe make a little jump into the future and, and see what happens. I've had some suggestions from readers as well uh, for characters and for storylines they'd like to see. So we'll see what happens. The plans are there, but you know how it is. So many stories to write, <laughs> not enough time. So choices exactly. will have to be made. Yeah. Now you write in several genres. Impreg is just one of them. Do you have a favorite out of all of them? The thing that you just keep coming back to? Not really. I, I like that I write different genres and I hope to actually write even more. The only paranormal, and I always debate whether or not you can call Impreg paranormal it's kind of like is it is it really i don't know i would hope to write something paranormal maybe angels or vampires i think that would be a lot of fun so i just like exploring different genres because they they give you different opportunities to try new things i've written some sci-fi with aliens which was commercially not the biggest success putting it mildly but so rewarding to write is that you have to give yourself those projects as well and just say, you know, for the hell of it, I'm just going to write it because it's fun and because it's rewarding for me. And if it doesn't sell, well, you know, then it doesn't sell, whatever. Yeah. And it is kind of surprising you haven't done paranormal yet, given all the other things that you've done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've <laughs> I've done quite a bit. I think the biggest reason so far has been that I had so many series started is that I wanted to finish things first. So I promised myself I need to finish this Emprex series before I start anything else because otherwise, and I, I finished my, my sci-fi series earlier this year as well, otherwise you run the risk of endangering the relationship you have with readers and the trust they place in you that you will finish a series. It was already a year between the first book and book two and three of my sci-fi series, which was not intentional, but that's a long time to wait for a sequel, which I'm sure contributed to the poor um, sales results. But I learned from that is like, if you commit yourself to a series, you have to finish it. You can't start just new series and have five series, six series at the same time. Readers want um, that series to finish at some point. So I'm finishing up series and then I can start something new. So we'll see where that leads me. <laughs> and it's great that you finished the sci-fi series, even though you knew it wasn't selling well, because I mean, we certainly see authors for good reasons of their own that they don't finish because something doesn't gel right in the sales figures. Yeah. I would never judge someone for that because if you are dependent on that income, um, not everybody can afford to have a hobby project 
the way that I could with this. I was fortunate enough that I didn't need that particular income. I could afford to write the two more books, but not everybody can. And I totally understand that. I would never judge an author for abandoning a series because it doesn't sell. That's, you know, that's, I think, a very valid judgment call to make. Absolutely. It doesn't sell. You know, fun projects, as rewarding as they are, don't pay the mortgage. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. From a trope perspective, you're all over the place there, too. But do you have certain favorites that you always want to come back to? I think by now, Daddy Kink is is pretty established. My whole Perfect Hands series is nothing yeah, I but would say Daddy so. Kink. Yeah. Um, again, and, and I think that's something that keeps showing up in, in my books is, again, it's the power dynamics that fascinate me is when you have a dom and a sub or a daddy and a boy, it's so easy to assume that the daddy is in charge or the, or the dom is in charge. But when you do it the right way, it's the sub. Like everything centers around that submissive, around that boy and a daddy who, who would insist on being in charge and making all decisions for the wrong reasons is not a good daddy. And that's the kind of dynamics I love to play with as well as just because you're a daddy doesn't mean that you top or just because you're a daddy doesn't mean that you're older. So I play around again with those dynamics as well. I have a book where the daddy is younger than his boy. I have a book where the daddy bottoms for one of his boys. I like those dynamics. I love playing around with them and just showing people is that at the core, it's not about that. It's not about oh, you're older or bigger, so you're in charge. It's it's what you need, what you crave, and what somebody else brings to the table and, and needs and craves from you. It's that it's that relationship together. I love that. That, to me, is, is romance. Mm -hmm. yeah. How did the power dynamic come to be kind of the thing for you? What is it about that that intrigues you to, to mess around with your characters? I think it's because, look, I, st I started reading romance when I was a teenager, and we're talking about probably, I must have been 12 or 13 when I swiped my mom's romances first. You know, obviously, I wasn't allowed to read them, so I did it in secret, but, you know, she loved her, her category romances, and I loved them. I There's a reason I picked Nora as, as my first name form of my pen name, because Nora Roberts is like my hero. I started reading her books when I was a teenager. I absolutely love her books. But at some point, I grew a little tired of male-female romance because of the power dynamics. They bothered me because too often it was assumed that the man had the power over the woman, and I don't like that. That, to me, was degrading in a way and certain books made that very clear where to me they definitely crossed the line into okay this is not consensual here this is not informed consent you're doing things which in itself is fine but then you have to call it dark romance mm -hmm. if, if that's what you want to write that's fine but then you have to label it as as such but if you sell a romance as okay this is a romance but it has that non-consensual element that bothers me a lot and out of that I stumbled across the, the, the gay romance genre and discovered that, oh, I get to play around with those power dynamics here. I've written male-female romance, never published. I've written young adult. 
And even in those books that have never been published, you can see me trying to play with those power dynamics, but your your options are so much more limited. So when I started playing and writing MM Romance, that was, I think, instinctively the theme, like, this is why I want to write this. This is what fascinates me. So I think I come at, at MM Romance from a very, probably a psychological viewpoint. It just, that's what fascinates me. I read a lot of psychological books and, and still, I, there's so much to learn about people. So that mm, fascinates mm -hmm. me. Yeah. I have to say, I would love to read a Nora Phoenix YA book. Yeah. If, you, if you ever yeah. want to come around, you know, decide to put one of those out. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have the perfect covers sitting in my um, <clears throat> way too, way too big stack of unused covers I bought. My God. It's like, I'm the worst. I'm an addict. Like my name is Nora and I'm an addict. I buy pre-made covers. It's bad. But I have two covers that would be absolutely perfect for YA. So somewhere in the back of my head, I do have an idea. So Someday, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the trademark of a Nora Phoenix book is, regardless of its genre or trope? When I started writing, I, I thought it was, okay, one of my trademarks is, is high steam, is, is uh, the heat level, because I loved um, the sex scenes. I love writing them. They fascinate me. And then as, as I wrote more books, I discovered that that wasn't it. As much as I, I love them, they have to really fit the characters. And one of my last releases, Healing Hand, features a demisexual character and a character who probably identifies as asexual but based on trauma that was such an amazing book to write it had it has no penetrative sex whatsoever nothing there's you know a hand job or that's it and yet it's i think in terms of writing i consider it one of my best books and it was an eye-opener for me because you can't hide behind sex scenes mm. you have to write the romance without the sex which which was a challenge but i loved it i really i really loved it so before i would have said oh it's 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 the high heat now i think is is what characterizes my books is is i think depth i think i write three-dimensional characters who feel very real my books always are a little different i turn tropes around i turn dynamics around i introduce just little things that are different and I write non-typical characters. They're not standard variety for the most part. Some have limitations. I've written a character with a severe stutter. I've written a character who's had an amputation. So, and I would love to write many more diverse characters for sure. So I think I would say the depth and the emotional development in, in my books, I think that's very characteristic for what I write. Mm -hmm. At least that's also what readers tell me. So. <laughs> <laughs> With the diverse characters, there's so much conversation these days about proper representation of diverse characters. What do you do to help make sure that proper representation exists with everything that you're writing? For me, it's a very, it's a very loaded question. Because I didn't grow up in America, I'm Dutch, I've only lived here since 2013, so not even seven years, I don't feel comfortable taking 
a position specifically on books that are set in the U.S. when it comes to diverse characters because I don't share the the history of cultural diversity in this country. I'm learning. I'm learning a lot. I'm reading a ton. I have a degree in history with a specialization in U.S. history, but that's book knowledge. So for me, at this moment, I would not feel comfortable writing um, a character of color, whether as, as specifically as a main character. Also, because I'm trying to follow the lead of authors of color in this. And what I hear most of the time right now is that they want white authors like me to introduce characters of color as side characters, as secondary characters, but not as main characters and leave that main character for um, authors of colors to give them a chance. And I think at this point, I'm following that lead. I think that's fair. I don't judge anybody who makes a difference then. I think it's a very personal choice that you have to make. But as I said, being not American, I'm just super careful in in being culturally sensitive here because I didn't grow up with a lot of the social cues that Americans did. So I miss out on, on some things. So I have to be very careful there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And pivoting on something else you said, because I would be remiss not to ask this. <laughs> Since you talked about the steamy factor of some of the books, what's it like managing three, four bodies potentially in a sex <laughs> scene? Because as an author, I, my mind just baffles at how to deal with that and not having enough pronouns to go around necessarily. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the biggest downside of writing sex scenes that have more than two characters i mean you already have the problem with two men because you can't Mm -hmm. use he and him but when you have more men you have to use their names and some authors say they come up with descriptions for the younger man or the older man or the but if you are true to your your point of view you wouldn't say that like if there is an age difference, you know, between me and my partner, I wouldn't think of him of her. I'm single, but I wouldn't think of, of him of her as, oh, the older man or the older <laughs> woman. Like, for me, that's a weird thing. I would think of that person as him or her or them or by their name. So that's what I'm trying to do in a lot of the scenes is just use their name. In Empreg, you have it a little easier because you can use Alpha, Beta, and Omega, which Mm. identifies the characters. So you get to cheat a little there because it it is natural for us to think in terms of genders, which Alpha, Beta, Omega are not, but let's consider them genders right now. We think of people as a man or a woman or, you know, not to be binary, but that's that's how our minds still work. But when you have four men in a scene, <laughs> it's a lot of body parts to keep track of. <laughs> it is. It's a, There's a lot of, of things going on there. That, yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm not brave drawings. enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes do drawings. I've been known to and I say this, you know, it's it's not a joke, but I've been known to watch porn scenes with multiple men just to figure out how they do that, which is purely research. I, I laugh because I'm asexual, like the porn itself really doesn't do anything for me, but it does help me figure out, like, how would this work? Like, what can you do with bodies? What is physically possible? Yeah. And still, my editor sometimes says, uh, honey, <laughs> 
if he's like this, <laughs> he can't reach that. And I'll be like, huh, okay, you've got a point there. Yeah. So There's got to yeah. be realistic choreography in there. <laughs> Somewhere, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, you co-write also with K.M. Newhold. Yeah. How did you and K.M. come together to form a partnership that's now gone on for many books? Yeah, that's a funny story because before I had written my first uh, book, I was a reviewer. I had a blog, and one of the books I reviewed was one of Kylene's KM's earlier books, which I absolutely loved. So I had published a review, and I just messaged her on Facebook, um, like, okay, you know, I reviewed your book, and if you want to, you know, read the review, it's, you know, I loved it, here's the link. And she wrote back, like, oh, thank you, and, and she was, you know, like, that's amazing, and we started chatting and I told her that I was a upcoming author, that I had a book coming out in October. And she's like, well, if you need someone to beta read for me, you know, I'd love that. And I was like, wow, look, she at the time had already hit number one with one of her books. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> like, so we just hit it off. She read No Filter, which was the first book I released. She absolutely loved it. She helped me uh, start my Facebook group and, and boosted it. I had 300 people within the first week because she posted it in her group. So she's been super supportive, helping me. And I think I had two or three books out, which she absolutely loved when someone in her reader group posted I think it was like a, a real story or about two porn stars who had fallen in love. And they said, oh, this is a plot bunny. And Kylene responded with, oh, this sounds amazing. And I had responded at the same time. And then some readers said, oh, sh you should write it together. And I thought, well, that's a joke. And then Kylene responded with, oh, I would love that. And I was like, oh, she's kidding. You know, it's the polite thing to say. Right. But then she messaged me and she was like, are you really interested? And I was like, hell yeah, where do I sign? So that's how we started writing together. And the fun part is, is that we never spoke on the phone and we have never seen each other until we had released three books already. We do. We did everything over wow messenger and facebook it's just neither of us are phone people and we met for the first time at grl in in virginia that was the first time we met so yeah fun story but we still love writing together we mesh really well our styles mesh well we have the same um, approach to writing so it's just been a lot of fun yeah that's awesome i always love hearing how collaborations begin and then yeah. You know, when they're able to keep going as well. And then you guys seem to have so much fun with it. We do. And, you know, we get along great. And it's a, the fun thing is that our, our joint books are a different style for both of us because they're, they're relatively light for me. But that makes them fun to write. They're a nice diversion from my usual work. And it's the same for her. So we're just having, literally, we're having fun with them. Yeah. <laughs> Who who ends up coming up with the plots, or is it kind of like I have this idea and now I have this idea, and they just go? Yeah, from it's kind of like that. So we'll go on Messenger in the morning when it's a writing day for us, and we'll go like, okay, what scenes do we want to write? And then Kylene goes, oh, I have this idea. What if he goes to his father, and then this and this happens? And I'll be like, oh, that's awesome. And I'll be like, okay, so I was thinking, what if in his background, he had a bad breakup, and that's why, and she's like, oh, that sounds good. And then we start writing. And we each pick a point of view. And so far, we don't 
plot extensively at all. So far in the seven books that we have written together, plus a couple of novellas, we've only had it once that we have written the same scene without realizing it once. And it was a scene that was relatively easy because it, it turned out to be a sex scene that was relatively easy to turn into, oh, we can use that later on in the book. But that's the only time that had ever happened. And it's just... Yeah, our our writing chemistry is is just really good. I love it. It's very easy. That's yeah. fantastic. How did you get started in MM romance? You talked about being a reader from being a teenager. What made you, you know, put pen to paper or or hands wrote, on keyboard if you prefer? <laughs> I started with pen and paper. I wrote my first book when I was 14. I still have it. It's um an adorably naive romance, teens, and it's just lovely. It's set in high school, and if I read it now, I still get the the fuzzies because it's so cute and sweet. And I have kept writing ever since, but my challenge was that I needed to transition from writing in Dutch to writing in English, and that took me a couple of years to get to a command of the English language where I was comfortable enough to write in, and then practice enough where I had the self-confidence to publish, which, as you know, is scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have probably written, I want to say about 20 books before I ever published my first. And most of those are male-female romances and, and YA. But when I read MM Romance, I was like, okay, this is my genre. This is, I connect with the genre. This is what I want to write at that time. I still identified as straight. I was still married. My husband came out as gay. So we had that whole, that was parallel, which in hindsight is amazing if you think about it. Mm-hmm. MM Romance helped me identify that my husband was gay. He, he knew, but we hadn't had that conversation yet. And for me, it was very fitting that I would write in the genre. So uh, we got a divorce. We're still you know, we co-parent, we're great friends. He has a boyfriend. I'm super happy for him. But writing MM Romance also helped me in my own journey come to, okay, this is this is the labels that I'm comfortable with. I am asexual. Okay, this fits me. I am pan-romantic. This is what fits me. And that's been a wonderful journey where writing MM Romance definitely has helped me. So I'm super grateful um, to be in this genre. And I, I, Every time I get a message from a reader that my books have helped them identify who they are, it just makes me so grateful. That's awesome. I love those stories where like just writing the genre and reading the genre has such a impact to life in general. It really does. And it's one of the reasons why it, it bothers me when people are very dismissive about the genre they characterize it, especially when it's written by women, as fetishizing gay men, which you may have a point for some of the subgenres on some of the books. I'm not denying that. But to paint the whole genre with that brush to me is is not – I don't think you do full justice to the impact that these books have on the on the people who read them and mm-hmm. on the people who write them. Aside from the fact that to say that most of the, you know, the women who write gay romance are cis straight women is absolutely not true. Even if they, you know, maybe publicly identify as straight, that doesn't mean they are. I identified as straight for a long time. Turns out 
I'm not. Everybody comes out at their own pace, at their own timing, and some may never have the safety to do so. It's all good. So let's not judge people by the label that we have to carry to the outside world. Mm -hmm. I'm not out publicly to a lot of people because I have my personal life and my writing life separate. I, I, I kind of have that luxury. And for some people, it's just it's not smart to come out. And I respect right. that. So, yeah. yeah, little tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> no, good tangent, though. Do you remember what your gateway book to MM was from a reading standpoint? Yes, J.R. Ward, the Black Dagger uh, Brotherhood series. I don't know if you've ever read it. I have not, but it's, I've heard a lot of people comment oh about my, that series. It's set in the part of New York where I live, which is, you know, part of the fun. And it's male MF romance for the most part. It's vampires. It's super sexy. It's hot. It's violent. It's got a bigger plot. It's just everything I love about books is in that series. Again, power dynamics. She plays with those. And then all of a sudden, she introduced an MM couple. And she she kind of hinted at their story in the previous books. And I, coming from, you're going to laugh at this, but originally a very conservative evangelical background, I was like, I'm not sure if I want to read a male-male romance. Like, I'm not sure I'm going to like that. And I read that book and I was like, holy shit, I didn't know this was a thing. And I went on Amazon and I went down the rabbit hole and the rabbit hole was deep and wide. And um, yeah, that just that that one book, I wrote her a thank you letter. I really did. Because I think it's absolutely amazing and courageous that an author of her statue or of her fame took such a gamble in publishing an MM romance in the midst of an MF series. And I know she had to compromise. It wasn't the story that she really wanted to tell her publishers, you know, put a lot of pressure on her as I later found out to, you know, lower the number of sex scenes and to, to change some things. But the fact that she still did it, I think it was incredibly uh, brave and courageous. And without that book, I'm not sure wh when I would have found the genre. So mm -hmm. yeah. Lots of gratitude there. Wow, that's very cool. And speaking of books, what's the last book you read that you're really wild about? Oh my gosh, I've been on a good good reading streak lately. I've blazed my way through May Archer's Backlist, which I absolutely loved. Her last book, Off Plan, it's set in, um, in Florida on a key. It's absolutely phenomenal. I can't wait to read her last release with uh, Lucy Lennox, which should be really good. I have the privilege of beta reading for Kyleen, who has a new book just released, Hardwood, which was absolutely phenomenal. That series is so much fun. Will it's loves like, that series. <laughs> it is, you know, a lot of people, I think, with everything that has happened, need a lighter and fluffier read. And that series just delivers. It's fun. It's sexy. It's, you know, not too heavy. And I think she did a phenomenal job with that. Other than that, I'm just, I reread the whole His Boy Next Door series. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's BSDM, but daddy, kind of not daddy, dumb, sub, sometimes a little daddy vibe. It's so good. So good. So, so many books, not enough time. So now that Irresistible Omegas is done, what do we have to look forward to in the rest of 2020 from you? I have a new series planned that I can't say too much about yet, but 
It's a contemporary series with a suspense element that I think readers are really going to love. I had originally planned to release it earlier in the year, but with uh, the coronavirus hitting, I thought it wasn't the right timing for this. And in hindsight, I'm glad I waited just a little. It's it's going to be a lot of fun. I've This is one of the few series I've really plotted. I've done a lot of research for. I plotted this, so I'm super excited to share with my readers what's what's coming. But I can't say too much yet. Don't want to spoil the surprise. <laughs> yeah, I gotta keep some gotta keep gotta keep people guessing there a little bit. Right? <laughs> Very cool. Well Nora, what's the best way for everyone to keep up with you online? Facebook is is basically my second home. So <laughs> that's the best way to to hang out with me. My Facebook a group is called Nora's Nook. We have uh, almost 4,000 members by now, and it's my happy place. My readers there, I call them my nookies, which is, you know, a little wink, wink there. They're amazing, and it's a very warm and supportive place where, you know, we talk about books, but also about life, where people get to share, you know, what's what's on their minds and seek support, and, and we have fun, takeovers. So that's, that's, like I said, it's really my happy place. I'm on Twitter, but I do warn that that is a very political. Uh, it's true for everybody these days on Twitter. <laughs> yes, I am unapologetically political on Twitter. So if that's not your thing, just don't follow me because I, I think it's important to speak up. I don't think that art and politics are separated, you know, so I speak up a lot there. If that's not your thing, then you may want to skip that. I'm on Instagram um, as Nora Phoenix, I'm, geez, man. Oh, I have a Patreon where you can check me out. That's about it, I guess. Oh, my newsletter. Yes, the weekly deals. How can I forget? Yeah. Noralinks.com, which is every Saturday I release um, new weekly deals, the best new releases in gay romance and 99 cents deals and freebies. So Noralinks.com every Saturday. And uh, that's stacking that, you know, TBR pile for a bargain. <laughs> That was Very the sales cool. pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nora, it's been so awesome talking to you. I'm glad you c came to the podcast to tell us all about these good things. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I always enjoy talking to you. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Thanks again to Nora for talking to us about the wrap-up of that series teasing us just the teeniest tiny little bit about what's coming next and talking to us also about her collaborations with K.M. Newhold. It was a really delightful conversation. All right, guys, I think that'll do it for this very special 250th edition of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. Coming up next week, L.C. Rosen joins us to talk about his young adult book, Camp. I adored this book so, so much. I'll have a full review for it next week. This book is even being made into a movie for HBO Max, so we'll be talking to LC about the movie version as well. Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please stay strong, be safe, and above all else, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>